Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Odyssey podcast, where every week, me and my brother truck through cinema on a quest to find the best film ever made. And this week, we are talking about Saving Private Ryan and Randy. I gotta start with the only question I need to know. Does it still hold up for you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it still holds up. <laughs> you you were not looking forward to this one. No, because I was afraid it wouldn't hold up, but the... Uh... Because you unironically based much of your personality as a younger person around this movie well, just as like a kid like i don't know before i was like 10 it was an influence mm-hmm. also yeah like we were talking about this before but man this movie fucks and this movie fucks a different position every time i see it like this movie's great yeah it's really good yeah but where do you where do you want to get started do we got to do do we have to do the whole well, we gotta, synopsis? Yeah, we gotta play, explain the plot. I mean, you know, there, there are some people that have not seen this movie. <laughs> the, the, yes, the plebeians. Uh, so <laughs> dang. <laughs> <laughs> so here here's the basic rundown. Uh, the film follows United States Army Ranger Captain John Miller and his squad as they search for a paratrooper, Private First Class James Ryan. Uh, the last surviving brother, James of, Francis Ryan. James Francis Ryan. You gotta say the whole name. <laughs> As he is the last surviving brother of four, as the three brothers were killed in action. And it follows them as they trek through basically the aftermath of the landing of Normandy Beach through France to find him and save him and bring him home. And also, I gotta open. This movie opens at Normandy Beach. And no, no. It, is, it, it opens it, at... It opens at uh, the, I believe, the Normandy War Memorial. Or War Grave, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but then it gets into... Normandy Beach. Beach, which can we can is that still the best like military war sequence in in cinema? I'm I'm, I'm putting some thought into this. You know, I gotta gotta make sure before I just blurt out an answer here. You know, I gotta <laughs> I gotta think. I mean, long and hard, real quick. Uh, top five, easily, easily top five, easily top five. <laughs> I like how hard you're thinking this over. Well, I mean, there's got to be some other good ones. Easily top five. Easily top five. Probably top three. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that everybody goes to and be like, this, this is how you film, like, battle. This is how you make it feel, like, real in that first-person perspective and the shaky. It puts you in, in context of that scene and of these people. That was Spielberg's whole thing. He wanted people as the audience to feel in that moment to the point he didn't even storyboard any of it. He showed up on the day and was like, I'm just going to follow the march up and we're just going to move the camera with it and we'll figure it out as we go. And it, it cuts like butter. I mean, like, the um the night fighting scene in Platoon. Yeah. With the flares. That's pretty That close. one's pretty good. I mean, I, mean, it, but I don't think it's better than this. That's, that's probably the comparison, because this usually happens when we have two like films on the list, where we have the two war films. Mm-hmm. Platoon and... Saving Private Ryan. And this is a war epic. It's made by Steven Spielberg, not a war vet per se, but he's really obsessive about World War II. Mm-hmm. And this is also a bigger, more studio-backed kind of movie than Platoon oh, definitely. was. Yeah. I mean, th- this has a star-studded cast. Oh my god. Dude, you know what the crazy thing is? So, Steven Spielberg, when he casted everybody, he wanted as many no-name actors as possible. Matt Damon was a no-name actor when he was cast in this, and then Goodwill Hunting came out as they were fucking shooting, and then he became a household name overnight. I see. Yeah. Vin Diesel, 
had voiced the Iron Giant, and that was his biggest, like, starring thing before this. And then he, like, the movie's right after he becomes huge. Mm -hmm. Basically, they had Tom Hanks as the only star in this, and everybody else was like, oh, Tom Sizemore, he's a name, eh, blah, 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 but everyone else was... Edward Burns, too. Edward Burns, yeah. Like, I, I have the whole cast list here, and it's... It's pretty stacked. Like we have Paul Giamatti in here. Oh, Nathan, true. Nathan Fillion. Oh, is, yeah. Is in it for like like t- five minutes. Yeah. He's the other Private Ryan. Um, but yeah, it is it is a deep cast and it is amazing. Also, I wanted to bring this up to you because I I actually did research for this. So Tom Hanks leading up to this movie is a run that I think is might be unmatched by any other actor. Okay. All right. So I'm just gonna go through his nineties. Okay. Sure. 92, League of Their Own. 93, Sleeves in Seattle. 93, again, Philadelphia. He wins an Oscar. Okay. 94, Forrest Gump. Okay. 95, Apollo 13. 95, again, Toy Story. 96, okay. That Thing You Do. 97, This. You want to know what he, what he follows that up with? Sure. Toy Story 2, Green Mile in 99, Castaway in 2000. Well, that's his, pretty good. His 90s kind of fuck. Kind of. Kind of good. Yeah. And I mean, to parallel that steven spielberg and this is why he was able to have all that fucking money to make this he does hook in 91 jurassic park in 93 schindler's list in 93 wins best director best picture Mm -hmm. 92 he does or 97 he does jurassic park 2 the lost world 97 amistad which another awards movie and he does this in 97 or 98 he does same private ryan 98 Mm -hmm. ai in 2001 that's the thing he does after this but Jesus fucking Christ. I just want to talk about, like, the pedigree this, this movie, movie fucking has, dude. Like, Steven Spielberg, we... Are you a fan of Steven Spielberg? Do you think he's schmaltzy? Schmaltzy? <laughs> I never heard that word you before. You never heard schmaltzy? No. He's like, he likes, you know, oh, we're gonna play to the heartstrings, we're gonna pull your nostalgia goggles, we're gonna kind of, like, schmooze you over, make you all warm and fuzzy so He's going to work the work the audience. He's going to work the audience, right? I see. His movies generally don't play like an artistic bend. He's mm-hmm. like crowd-pleasing. We're working the audience over playing, you know, strumming yeah. the heartstrings. I mean, this movie, like, we flipped the lights on and there were some misty eyes on the house, all yeah. right? Um, so he's one of those directors that doesn't uh, think about the movie for himself, but for his audience. Yeah, I would definitely say so. He's an audience pleaser mm-hmm. at heart. I mean, I'm not necessarily against it, against that, like, type of... I mean, obviously it makes good... It, he's a good filmmaker, alright? That's just... Let's just get out of that. Get I've, out of the I've way. heard people rag on him as being, like, a subpar director, or, like, just above a student filmmaker. Have they I, seen this movie? Yes! People got... So people got Spielberg hate. I don't get it either. I mean, no, I understand, because Spielberg is just, like... It, it's one of those things where it's like you know he's so just so su- successful that you hate him. Fucking you know? Tom Brady, this guy. <laughs> You're fucking Tom Brady. Spielberg is the Tom Brady of uh, of movies. Except he's not that hateable. All right, Tom Brady's <laughs> Tom Brady is hateable. Tom Brady pretty, cheats pretty bad, but I mean Spielberg, you know he's not that bad. Huh. You know it's just one of these things where it, I do feel a little worked. You know, like like he didn't need to do that. <laughs> he he doesn't. It does get, it's a little cheap at times. You, you, you can feel where he's like, he's doing this specifically to like work the audience over, make him cry, make him hey, feel a something. A little bit, but like, I don't think it's a real detriment to the movies. Like mm. maybe not, maybe, probably not this movie. Yeah. Cause this movie, I, I 
gone on record in other podcasts and other conversations that I think this is, like, the best war film ever made. I mean, I that's just me, but it's one of those things where when I'm watching it, mm-hmm. um, I think it really does put the audience in the sense of, oh, this is, like, a very no, I know, not okay thing. This I know is, a better movie, a better war movie. It's you called know, Band of Brothers. <laughs> he, 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 fun fact. Him and Tom Hanks were executive producers of Band of Brothers. I think he directed the first episode. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, they they did the whole funding for Band of Brothers right after this. They basically used all the leftover shit from this movie to make Band of Brothers. But I mean, Band of Brothers I, is a better war movie. I mean, you know, it's also like ten <laughs> hours long. Quote unquote movie. Quote unquote movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, show is ten hours long, so I don't want to hear your shit. Oh fuck you. We'll get to it later. <laughs> But yeah, like, this movie is just fucking awesome, it, and I dig, I dig the shit out of it. It's very, very good. I'm not sure, like, here's the thing about this movie, is that it gets me in a whole moral conundrum about calling it awesome and cool. Because it's a war movie, and this is some really hard, fucked up shit. Yeah, and especially, like, the movie makes a point of to not... Like, uh, when they're going over the dog tags in the movie. Yeah. Uh, at one point, they show up to a crashed um, paratrooper plane, mm-hmm. and it's become kind of like a base point for people that are scattered from their squadrons, from their platoons or whatever, to meet up here, drop off their wounded, and then go re-rally and get back into it. And so there is a sack full of, like, a hundred or more dog tags. Just every fallen soldier that's come through and they've yeah. picked up tags. And they've picked up their dog tags, you know? And there's like 30 or so wounded soldiers just like sitting next to the plane in like a like a pop-up tent type thing. Mm-hmm. And the um, squad, you know, they're on their mission to find Private Ryan. So they start pouring over the dog tags. And they're just kind of like picking them up. Um, I got an Eddie from Wisconsin. No, that's not him. And, like, tossing them they, aside, They start you know? playing games with them. He's like, you got a full house. How many Smiths do you have? How yeah. many Johnsons? How you know? many Johnsons, you know? And, um, the medic comes over to them and goes, hey, the whole 101st Airborne is watching this. Like, because there, there's, like, a huge company of guys. Just marching through. Marching through, watching them play games with dead soldiers' dog tags. Yeah. And each, each dog tag is a life lost. Is a life lost. And there's like a hundred of them on this table, you know? And they're just kind of playing games with the with the soldiers. And th- the medic that says that, that's um Wade, I believe. Yeah, Wade. And, okay, he... I I can't watch it when when he dies. When, when it's like Wade's death scene at that bunker. I can't fucking do it. Like, I can do Normandy, I can do all that. I watch that and I, I can't. That's That's the snap my soul in half moment to the point where it's the only thing in this movie that i'll actually turn away from. even at the end even, even at the, the very end. end with the last couple of lines uh, that i that i can i can do for i don't know why it's just him crying for his mom and the whole thing beforehand it and that's where i'm like spielberg you you motherfucker can you were they giving them morphine yeah no that i can't i can't do i just can't do it and and it's the thing where when he does that, it feels like he's the moral barometer because he's the medic. You know, yeah. he's, you know, yeah, these guys shoot people, but he's there watching his men die, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like he's way closer to that aspect of the war than than these guys are. I mean, it, at first the movie is trying even it, Tom Hanks character isn't as close to that as Wade is. The movie is is playing both sides of the coin, right? It's being this bombastic war action movie and also pretty heartfelt critique on like no war is not okay 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, these guys are, you know, oh, they're heroes, you know, they're coming in, they're, you know, these are the greatest generation, and they're fighting the Nazis, but it was, it was not fun. It was hard. It was painful. People died. People you were grew to like and attached to throughout, like, the war just get shot and it's over. That was, that was the crazy thing, because in other war films, like lesser war films, when somebody dies, they get the whole, you know, um long thing where oh they get shot they crawl away and it's a long kind of drawn out sequence and this they get shot they fall over it's uh, it's done mm-hmm. sometimes it's that quick yeah and i think that's why the way death really hurts because that's the only one where oh you know it gets he, drawn out he gets well, drawn also, out he doesn't so, die right um, away well no they do it a few times in the movie i mean him um vin diesel's character oh Tom yeah Hanks character miller yeah um they they all have drawn out i mean um What's his name? Fish? Is that his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, played by Adam Goldberg. Where he, uh, he has, like, that drawn-out fight with, um... With, with, with the German soldier, and he gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. You also, know, that one's fucked. That... Can we talk about Upham? Yes. He's a tough character to analyze. Is, yeah, because he's a coward. Not everybody's cut out for war. And he's definitely not. And he definitely. tells that to, to Miller at the beginning. He's like, I... He's like, I'm here to translate maps and stuff like that. Like, I'm not... He's like, I haven't shot a weapon since basic. I've never seen combat. And it's like, yeah, but it's it's war. And then you... As the movie's going on, and you're like, is this the part where Upham becomes the soldier? When Wade dies, Upham is kind of like the... He's, he's like a voice of reason in that scene, right? Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, also, this movie does comment on, like, you know, a lot of POWs got killed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sometimes you surrendered and you didn't, you didn't go to, go to a camp or anything. You just kind of got shot on the you didn't, field. You didn't, you know, you didn't get to just sit out the rest of the war or anything. You kind of might have just died in the field. Yeah. And, um, you know, Upham's kind of like the voice of reason in that scene where he's like, well, you know, he's surrendered. We can't just shoot him. You know, he's a POW. And they're and half of the squad's like the hell we fucking can't. You know, Wade's dead, and so should he. It's one of those things where it comes around to bite up him in the ass. It bites him hard in the ass, and it's one of those things where I, I want to dislike him as a character, but then it's also a thing where, yeah, if I was there, I'd be shitting my pants. I would be like up him, right? Is well, I mean, you know, you I'm, don't, you don't, you don't know, know it, until you're there. You don't know until it happens. You know, anybody could turn into an upham in some situation like that. Yeah, you know, you you, you don't know. What we do know is uh, is this movie. So, where exactly do you want to want to line in on this one? Well, we can still talk more about upham. It's not I, over the discussion I, about this man. I guess. I guess. <laughs> okay. So, because because upham is one of these characters that. He strikes me as he he looks way younger than everyone else in this, right? Oh yeah, he's probably like 19, 20, 21 in there. In context, what the movie does have some issues with historical accuracy, and you mentioned a bunch of them as we were going through. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you, I know I don't know much about like the actual war, but I know uh, some about the ordinance. Yeah, and watching this movie in terms of historical <laughs> accuracy, all the characters are way too old. Because, what is it, Tom Hanks, I think at the time of the making of the movie, he's about 40. Tom Sizemore is probably like 38. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, they would not be this old and being in the field here. They would probably be top in 30. Because that's the people who stormed Normandy Beats were like people between the ages of 
16 and, like, 30. Well, they were both officers. Even even then, you know, most officers were in, the were in like, their early 30s. No, no one was pushing 40 and, and storming Normandy Beach. That's that's historical record. I mean, there might have there, been a few. There's probably a few exceptions, but yeah. also, I mean, you know, just because Tom Hanks was 40 doesn't mean his character was 40. I his understand His character that. could be in his mid-30s. Yeah, I get that, I get that. Or, I'm, I'm not sure if he said how long he taught. 11 years was out of high school, so... So he could be in his mid-30s. He, yeah, I guess could be in his mid-30s, but I'm, I'm just saying that because if... If that's the scale, Alba might even be like 16. He'd be 17 for all I know, who just yeah, has an ear for he's, language. He's in his early 20s, maybe. Well, maybe in his like late, late teens. Mm. Because, I mean, historical accuracy would be damned for the age of the characters. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying that because the reality is fucking teenagers fought most of this war. Yes. Or, like, kids, basically. And that's another thing. This makes it even more fucked up. Mm-hmm. But Upham is... Is he the barometer of the movie? Is he the audience surrogate? Cause he's I believe the... he's the audience surrogate. He knows the least about these guys, the least about what's going on, and everything kind of gets explained to him. And I think he serves a good purpose at that. And showing how he cowers at this is like, hey, like, Billy Badass, you let can we be on the level here? This is not something you would just go storming in and become Billy Badass. You know? Yeah, you know, and uh, the whole theme of, like, the book he's going to write, Mm. About the brotherhood in combat. Mm-hmm. The, and how... The most, uh, um... What is it? The one of, like, three war stories that people tend to tell now? Yeah, but the thing is, though, that... He basically betrays his brothers in combat. Yeah. And he's the one that's supposed to be writing a book all about brotherhood and combat and togetherness in times of war. And he's not there for them when they needed him most. It's true. And all of them form that brotherhood, and he's an outsider looking in on it. Mm-hmm. And even at the end of the movie, when they, when Fish finally accepts him into that like brotherhood, because that's the whole thing about the Fubar motif, yeah. you know. They say, and then when he finally explains it to him, he's like, you know, it's the whole, yeah, you're you're in now. You're you're one of us. By and, the way, in case anybody didn't know, Fubar means fucked up beyond all repair. Uh, was was that most of uh um hundred first airdrop and uh, Normandy Beach? Was that all Fubar? Randy? It was all Fubar. All of it. Every every last minute of it. No, it's it's actually a fucking miracle that storming the beaches of France actually worked. A goddamn miracle. It's a dude. It's a miracle that um the the airborne that dropped that that it went nearly nearly as well as it did because it went horribly. It went awfully. I mean, the, what is it? Um, that's like the coin flip, right? You know, it's like would you rather be on Normandy Beach where it's absolute other utter hell for X number of hours, right? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather be one of the airborne that's dropped into the middle of enemy territory? For like a day or two, and you have no idea where the fuck you are, and you just have to find somebody. It's it's the it's the you know the hell the hell that's you can see it's in front of you, and the hell of being absolutely alone. Normandy beaches, or well, all the beaches are just complete testaments to the sheer will of human beings. They willed themselves up that beach. Did you know an MG thirty four, which I believe they're using MG thirty fours, not forty twos yet. Mm-hmm. Um. Shoot 900 rounds a minute. Up, up Upwards of 900. I might add, upwards of. It, 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 it varies. <laughs> it varies. The top end's like 1,200 rounds a minute. Like, we we gotta put... I, I, okay, 
blanket statement over this. The people that, the, the men that stormed Normandy, that dropped in on D-Day, that broke Omaha Beach, those men are fucking American heroes. Every last one of them, I'd be happy to shake their hand. They are heroes. Because, God I damn. Mean, it's a fuck. It, it's a fucking miracle that MG-34s are fucking inaccurate as hell after they fire about 100 rounds. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord <laughs> that oh. German engineering didn't show up for that day. Oh, God. But, but yeah, but back to the, back to the movie. Because we, we got a lot to talk about here. This is a long fucking movie. It is a long movie. It's two hours and 54 minutes? Two hours and 49 minutes. 49 it's, minutes. It's, it's 11 minutes shy of three hours. It's 11 minutes shy of three hours. Pussy fucking numbers. Not even three hours. <laughs> Randy's like, if it's not three and a half hours, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah, why isn't this bitch four hours? I can love four hour movies. I hate two and a half hour movies. <laughs> two and a half hours. Not enough to say. Too little to fill it out. Yeah, it's... You know, I want either 90-minute movies or four-hour epics. You know, I don't, I don't want anything in between. <laughs> Very particular. Very, Very particular. particular. But, um, but this movie, it's been described as, like, a war epic. Do you think it earns epic? Because <sighs> when you think epic, I'm assuming you're thinking Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of the Arabia. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, um, Ben-Hur, Ten Commandments. Like, these are epics you know? yeah movie where it's on fucking screen. yeah you write that shit movie in like fucking capital m you know they're an epic capital e like this is probably like an epic lowercase e you know we're traveling across the, the france you know it's big bombastic battles we're following these group of characters that we know like and it it's really weird because okay miller's our main character right yeah tom hanks it almost feels like he doesn't really come into his own as the main character until, like, halfway through the movie. Which, I mean, it's not just that. Well, like, first 20 minutes of this is, is a battle. Well, he, pre- he basically comes into his own when Wade, Wade dies. dies. Yeah, Wade dies is, like, the turning point of this movie. Yeah, Everything that, changes. That's the uh, that's um the midpoint. That's where it's like, we've gone too far, we can't go back. Yeah. It's, it's when the movie starts to, like, really hit with the... You know, this isn't just a war movie, it's a movie about these people, you know, these people in war, not necessarily about the war. It's, yeah, this isn't a pro-war movie, this is like... No, 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 no. I don't mean it in that way, although, you know, this isn't a pro-war movie. Mm. Well, it's definitely not a pro-war movie. People have had, people have complaints about this, I got some stuff for you. Okay, alright, hit it with me. We'll we'll round back to this. Alright, so, one person who is very much like, this movie is not a good war film is Oliver Stone. Uh, he accused the film of promoting the worship of World War II as the good war, and this, along with Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Oliver Stone believes that it made Americans more ready for the 2003 invasion of Iraq. He called this movie a prep for the zeitgeist of going into war because it promoted a more mm, wholesome brotherhood. War is a thing. This is the good war. You know, we can fight a good war, quote-unquote. Um, Oliver Stone's pretty based with that take. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the other hand of that is Brian De Palma, and he says the level of violence in something like Saving Private Ryan makes sense because Spielberg is trying to show something about the brutality of what happened in the war. He's trying to put forth that the reason this movie is so violent, so brutal, it's not to excite, it's to almost repulse Mm -hmm. like war is war is hard and dirty and messy and people die people you care about yeah and that's the 
parallel from two really good fucking filmmakers. Brian mm-hmm. De Palma, Blowout, Scarface, Oliver Stone, Platoon, Natural Born Killers. Like, they... And as terms of filmmakers, they know what they're talking about. Oliver yes. Stone, on the other hand, he's a Vietnam veteran and saw active combat, so he has a different perspective than that. Oh, I, th- I have to kind of agree with Oliver Stone here. It really was a part of that early 2000s zeitgeist, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... That is that is a a good take. I, you know, Oliver Stone, you get a little little check mark next to your Pl- platoon got a little this, bit better. This this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I I mean I can I'm not draw really, off of that. I'm not really sure if I blame the movie or Spielberg for that. I mean, it, the movie does suggest that it's a like good war. Yeah, I mean you that's know, the... I'm I'm, ba- I'm I'm gonna get that from this movie that there is a that. There, there are good guys, there are bad guys. That there are good guys and there are bad guys, and that you could fight a good war. Which, I mean... The closest we could get to a good war, maybe. But is it a good war? Does it cross the line that's, of being a good war? I mean, that's the question that I think so many people have analyzed in um, looking back on World War II, is mm-hmm. because, let's be honest, for like 30 years 40 years that was the the thing right world war ii there were good guys there were bad guys the americans came in beat up the nazis and we won the war you know we were we you know we were the heroes and then things kind of go and then it's like well vietnam happens korea happens we go into iraq we go into the gulf war bad wars and we kind of those are all bad wars all bad wars and it kind of recontextualizes look was World War Two uh, except for maybe the Gulf? That one, the Gulf might have like uh, because that well, lasted like if, a month. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if I am correct in that, the Gulf War was the one that like quote unquote saved Kuwait, which I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Then that's like the only one here that I can just maybe Korea as well. But uh, the thing about Korea is that. You know, look, look what's happened to North Korea ever since. Yeah. I mean, although the North would have taken over the South, so we don't know how it would have ended up if we hadn't, you know, brought it to a standstill. But we also definitely didn't win it. Yeah. We brought it to a standstill, and uh, well, now Korea's all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, war is weird. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's, but that's the thing, like, recontextualizing, looking at that zeitgeist. Yeah, World War II gets recontextualized now as being like, look, everyone's a monster in war. You know? Some are worse than others. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, not every soldier is the embodiment of what they're fighting for. Yeah. You know? What is that memoir, that book of the um, German soldier? It's very famous. Oh, oh. Um, is it All Quiet on the Eastern Front? All Quiet on the Western Front? Western Front. I don't know if it's a direct memoir, but I believe it was written by a World War One German veteran. A World War One German veteran. Yeah, and I, I've seen that movie. That movie is actually on the AFI <gasps> 100 list. Oh, that no. That movie's a great, I, I, by the way. I remember the the cover of the book I'm talking about. It's, it's a memoir of a German soldier that fought on the Eastern Front. Oh, okay. oh God! I I can't remember the name of the book. Yeah, I can't I can't recall the name of the book, but I can remember the the cover. And somebody told me about it, and it's like a very, you know, true story of what it felt like to be just like a a foot soldier, like you know, just a a nobody 
in the war. Like, this was somebody that was, like, the equivalent of, like, a corporal mm-hmm. in the, the German army, you know, and what it felt like to be that. And it's just one of those things where it's, like, you know, these normal foot... I mean, like, obviously officers take more blame than anybody else in a yeah. war, but, I mean, to be, like, a private, you know? Especially looking at the other side from, like, the the final days of, like, Berlin... Oh, and where everything is like, you know you're fighting till till the last man. Mm-hmm. Well, because you, know you don't know you don't know what's going to happen afterwards. You know, yeah. you don't know what happens if you lose. Yeah, that's got that's that's a harsh reality when you're when you're staring down the end of the war and you know you're on the losing side. Mm-hmm. That's a harsh thing to stare down. I mean, that's not to justify anything that oh, happened. Oh, God, no. But it's like, to them, but it's just like, it's one of those on, things that... On a that, human level. On a, on a human level, you know, you're one of the last privates to defend Berlin, you know. There's what's going through your head, you know. You don't know what's going to happen afterwards, you know. You may have heard what happens after the the fall of um, Germany after World War One. you know. You gotta base yourself off of that. You don't want that to happen. Hell no. You know. You have an idea. Officers might get something better, but you're probably not. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the other the other way around, like being a, a French soldier at the fall of Paris. Oh, you know, where you know you were you were finally getting used to you know um, occupation, and then you're back to being a Frenchman again. There. You're like, man, I just picked up German. This sucks. I mean, I, I think uh, we, we can talk about this movie and skim over... Um, All the World War II history. <laughs> well, no, and skim over, like, um, more of, like, the the latter parts of the war. Like, um, like the Eastern Front, like, um, discovery of, like, the Holocaust and stuff like that. Yeah, because this movie doesn't even touch upon no, the we're, Holocaust we're in all. We're just in France. Just at... D-Day. D-Day. In the week or so leading after that yeah it's like d-day plus this six is, this this movie is actually kind of like short in that kind of terms where most world war ii movies most war movies in general take the um take a course of months yeah you know some some are like the entirety of their time over there mm-hmm. you know some of them are even like from boot camp through the war yes you know that's a pretty common thing in a lot of war movies right where you're seeing somebody who, like, from when they enlist all the way through their yes, terms yes. of service. This one is literally, like, or a couple days. You know, uh, doesn't the movie um, The Deer Hunter not take place that long in um, well, Vietnam? Well, the, De- the Deer Hunter is a weird movie because it's, like, because it takes place in America, Vietnam, and then, like, after. But it's over the course of, like, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Which, we're going we're gonna to watch The Deer Hunter later on. That one, I think you're, maybe, I don't I don't know. I don't know how you feel about an hour-long Russian Orthodox wedding to open the movie. That sounds lit. It's it's pretty lit. Christopher Walken's in there. Of course. But, I mean... This movie, though. This This movie, all... Well, this movie kind of gets propped up by its own themes because it can just lean on the fact that it's talking about a real war that actually happened. Yeah, and it's asking and all the, a question that almost, probably a lot of veterans oh, ask we get, themselves. Can we get to the, the, the question of the movie? Yes. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. The ending of this movie. Spoiler alert. Yes. At the end of the movie, after Miller dies, or when Miller is dying, he tells Private Ryan, um... Earn this. No, no. Well, what's his name? 
Oh, he, uh, John Miller tells Private Ryan. No, but what's Private What's the guy, fucking guy that plays Private Ryan? D- Matt Damon? Matt Damon. How do you not know Matt Damon? I can't fucking remember his name. Matt, Matt Damon! Damon. Okay. So Tom Hanks tells Matt Damon. So Tom Hanks tells Private Ryan, Matt Damon, earn this. Earn it. Earn it. You know? And that Basically whole... telling him to, to earn the fact that all of these men gave their lives for him. Specifically for him. Yeah. Not for anybody. For him. This ain't no hoity-toity thing, you know, every... You know, the reason you came back is because of all the people who gave it. This is like, no, specifically you. At least, you. like, 12 people have died. Pro- specifically for him. At least. Minimum. 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 And then he, we see him as the old man. In the, in the um, cemetery. And he asks his wife, you know, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. You're just like, wow, that's that's rough. That's some hard shit. That is hard shit. How do you how do you reconcile that is that's survivor's guilt, right? That's trauma. That, that's survivor's guilt, that's trauma, that's uh and also it's one of those things where he asks his wife that question, right? And she says that you know, you're a good man. Yes, of you course. Know? Yes, of course you're a good man. But you know, that that small validation probably is meaningless in the in the ocean that is this man's like guilt i think for him maybe but once it goes and we see the family he's built and we kind yeah. of understand the life he's led i'm like you know but I'm, I'm saying something. that like for yeah that that validation that he seeks from his from his wife you know it whatever she says can't possibly add up to it, it's like the the same thing that happens with the the letters that the U.S. Army sends out to the mothers of all the mm. sons that have died. They can't possibly even glean the gravity of the situation. It's no fault of hers, but it's just you know that small bit of validation for his life it can never add up to what's what's come before it. That's rough. Like, that's the hard. that's the movie, right? And that's the question it poses, and that's why I think this is why it's an anti-war film. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of it, it's like anybody that can do math can figure out twelve. Is not, <laughs> twelve is not less than one. You know. Well, yeah, and it's also the thing where, yeah, Ryan went on. He started a family. He had a family of his own, and you would look at that and be like, some people would be like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, he he earned it. You know, he became a father, a grandfather, and he built a life. He didn't waste his life. Mm-hmm. But then you look on the other side and it's like, well, none of the other ones gets the wife and the grandkids and the kids, and they don't even get the chance to do anything with theirs because they gave it for him. And it's it's the whole thing of, you know, that, that brotherhood thing they say, you know, mm-hmm. I give my life for my brother so he may live, th- so I may live through him. Mm-hmm. And it's a, that is a rough go. That is a rough go. Man, okay, so this movie's weighty, right? Weighty, especially near the end, especially with that part. How did you even want to, like, qualify this movie? In this what way? The movie, it it's playing this action movie. I think we can both agree it's a anti-war film. Mm-hmm. It has, you know, this big bombastic, like, set pieces, the cast, the crew, all that stuff. The well, pedigree behind it is... I would say it's a majority anti-war film. You would say a majority anti-war majority film? anti-war film. You know the main th- the the main part of it is anti-war, but it it does 
as Oliver Stone does point out, it does suggest that there's a good war to be fought, which is inherently not an anti-war sentiment. That's true. That's and true. and honestly, the majority I kind of, this, of this movie would be anti-war. Yes, I want to kind of roll off of that thing that he was talking about about the um, the zeitgeist aspect mm-hmm. of him, because this movie has influence, right? Yes. And pretty palatable influence because a lot of I'll just go straight to it. Like Call of Duty would not exist without this movie. Yeah, pretty much. The World War II. Uh, Medal of Honor 2, or Medal of Honor as well. Battlefield 1942. Yeah, Battlefield, all those. Like, basically war games in general. Which, let's be honest, were one of, if not the largest video game genres of, like, the early 2000s. I mean, oh god, well, of of all time. I mean, Call of Duty is still going on today. Battlefield's still going on today. Medal of Honor is unfortunately still going on today. Hey, you know, we, I just want a Pacific Assault. One more Pacific Assault and I'm <laughs> well, done. No, we're right? not getting it. God damn it. But, and the other thing is how the movie's shot. It even frames it in the sense of the, the whole shaky cam action that has, you know, was used in this to a great effect and has been used a thousand times to lesser effect through action movies from that point on. Like, the movie does have, like, a thumbprint on a lot of stuff that comes after it. Oh, God, I mean, the impact on this uh, movie isn't a thumbprint. It's like as if you took a chunk out of a wedding cake with your hand, you know? Like <laughs> You're like, I can I see it. Even I if think, you turn the cake around, I can still see I the whole. I can still see that. The movie is uh, undoubtedly largely influential in many aspects. I mean, and also the movie was portrayed very realistically in some way. I mean, we did say that the movie was critiqued for being unrealistic in some ways, but in other ways, it, it was touted as being overly realistic. I mean, there's the whole story about the um, World War II veterans seeing it in theaters. Yeah, yeah, I actually have a note on that one. So, uh, many World War II vets stated that the film was the most realistic depiction of combat they had ever seen and so realistic that many veterans of D-Day Vietnam left the theater instead of watching the rest of the film. They got through about halfway through the Normandy Beach sequence and they were done. Uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs set up a national hotline for veterans affected by the film. And in less than two weeks after the film's released, 170 calls came in related to the film and um, causing post-traumatic stress uh, mm-hmm. episodes. I mean... Even commented that if you are um, a veteran who psyche is not uh, completely steadfast, you should pass on the film. And what, what is what is that uh, famous quote about the movie? I could smell the sand. Yeah, that I heard that it was from an interview, um, and it was a uh, it was from somebody talking about they took their grandfather to see it. Right, they sit down in the theater, comes on, and their granddad was at Normandy Beach. Right, and they were like. Oh, he's like, I'm going to go see it. You know, I've seen a bunch of these war movies. He gets about halfway through when um, Tom Hanks, he's shell-shocked for the first time. And it's the ringing and he's like staring into the camera. And his granddad gets up and runs out. And, you know, the guy gets up, runs out, falls. And he's like, granddad, dad, what's going on? And he's clutching his chest and he's like, I can smell the sand. Because he went went back. And that, granted... It's not a good thing to cause um, flashbacks in yes. veterans. That's not a good thing, Steven Spielberg. But it it well, is a testament. It is a, yeah, it's testament to the fact that the the movie tried its best to portray it as realistically as possible, 
even though the wooden palisades were facing the wrong way. <laughs> uh, fun fact: in in the critique section of my notes, they make note of it. <laughs> they they it's straight up. They mention it's like yeah, those things on the beach they're facing the wrong way. <laughs> you know the granted the cling the ding from the M1 yes, Garand that's accurate. The, yeah, if anybody's wondering, the ping sound from an M1 Garand is a hundred percent accurate. Also. Uh, I I have never shot an M1 Garand. I probably never will, but I have played enough Call of Duty. Every time I hear that, ooh, ooh that takes me <laughs> yeah, back. There's people that ooh, do compilations shit. of all the pings for all the Call of Duty games. Look, I mean, I I, I will I'll go on record. Like we we were the we, generation of kids who who watched the hell out of this movie, played yes, the Call of Duties, and yes, which you know. is you know um. In some ways, unfortunate because we can never feel the true gr- like gravity of this situation of World War Two because we've just been so influenced by um, the imitations of it. Yeah, like there's we we are the generation where it became commoditized. Yeah, where it's like there were World War Two movies that saturated the market after Saving Private Ryan, and this movie you know led the planet of the flag. Like we're gonna have war movies yes. now. World War II video games, and where it's really so popular, we played a shit ton of them. World War II TV shows, Band of Brothers, for God's sakes, we mm-hmm. watched that how many times? And also, how like we World are War hard II, judges on this. World War II like uh, historical artifacts and World War II history in general has become its own like genre of entertainment. I mean, gosh, the freaking History Channel, you know, may it may oh. it one day rest in peace because uh, it sure ain't resting right now. Nora's in peace. Um, just like has made like an entire career off of commoditizing World War Two history. Yeah, you know, just you you build your empire on uh, World War Two documentaries, mm-hmm. and it's just like, well, like even um, watching like Forgotten Weapons, mm-hmm. right? And he talks about World War Two. Uh, also, shout weapons. out to Gun Jesus. Yeah, shout out to Gun Jesus. You know, getting, like, entertainment from weapons of war that are, like, it's one of these things where it's, you know, you feel disconnected when you think about it. And then when you're watching this film, it's a very hard thing to reckon with because it's so weird because the zeitgeist has changed so much. Mm -hmm. And trying to watch this as just a piece of entertainment feels weird. And then, Especially because when they're looking through the dog tags, it kind of points it back at the audience, being like, you are these people. You're like, this is not fucking funny. Mm-hmm. You know, these these dog tags were people that are no longer here doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, you stop enjoying this. Think about it. It's kind of strange for, you know, a movie to tell you to stop enjoying it, even though... And it's a Spielberg movie. His whole thing is, you know, let's please the audience, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm America's filmmaker. But he throws in that one, that one bit into the film, which, you know, how do you feel it elevates the movie? I that think... That itself references the fact that it's a World War II movie and you shouldn't be enjoying it? I think the movie is conscious of that fact. Like, I think... I think Spielberg is a smart enough director to be like, hey, I know you're here. You're here to see big gunfights. You're here to just follow, you know, these big stars. But you you need to be an adult and watch this movie. You know, people are dying. This isn't, this isn't funny, you know. He's like, I have a point. The whole point of the movie is these guys are giving up their lives so somebody else can go home. 
you know, and the whole thing asks, it's like, like, how many of these lives are worth it to bring, you know, one person home? How Ten- many lives is one life worth? Philosophers have been asking that question for ever. How, how much is a single life worth? That's, that's the point of the movie. You know, is a single life worth a single life? Eye for an eye makes a whole world blind. This movie's, this movie's also, strong. other things this movie, like, it also has the, the religious motifs. Yeah, yeah, we do have the, oh, um... What's his name, the sniper in the movie? You, he was your favorite character as a child, I remember. Yes, yes, he was. Still probably is, like, my favorite character. Although, uh, I don't think he's the most... Private Jackson, played Private... by Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper. Private Jackson. Yeah, he he's one of the most... I would say that, uh, Upton, or, what was his name? Is it Upton? Upton, or Upham. It's like a P-H. Upham. Upham. Yeah. Yeah, Upham. Um, is probably the most interesting character, and Private Jackson is probably the second most interesting character of the movie. It, it's, he is the character that they talk the least about, but you know the most about him. He's very religious. He's very good with at what he does, which is killing people. Yes. And he has no guilt about it. God stay my hand. You know, all the different things he says. My deliverer, you know, protect me and... You know, uh, help me as I watch on high, you mm-hmm. know, and shepherd my flock. He's super... The, and that is something that's so interesting about everyone in the movie is... Because we don't really get a whole, like, character monologue. From everyone like mm-hmm. it's not this is not very theatrical and but we know a lot about these characters you know oh we we know wade he was um he was a doctor his mom was a nurse he has like a hang-up thing about like he never felt he had enough time with his mother mm-hmm. and he doesn't know if that was because of her because of him we know that uh cabrisi who he's he's like I gotta help the kid, you know, she looks like my niece, you know, yes. he, as he's dying, he's like, the only thing he wants is, like, make sure my dad gets this letter, you know, pulls yes. the letter out, he's a family person. We know that, um, Jackson, super religious, and he has no guilt about what he does, because in the eyes of the Lord, he's doing this for a righteous cause. Mm-hmm. Um, he, we have Fish, who, um, makes it a point at every, like, uh, whenever Anytime he, can, he sees a, a German a, person. A German troop, you know, a German POW, points out the fact that he's Jewish yeah. to them. And he and he's like the wise ass. He's the crack up. He's and then we have we have all these characters in the movie that we know a lot about because these actors are really good at inhabiting the role, and they all have little character things that let the audience know so much more about them if you just read into it a little more. Mm-hmm. We know that um, the sergeant played by Tom Sizemore, uh, Sergeant Horvath, Horvath. Mm-hmm. Like we know him and him and the captain, they've been in this forever. He and he's been to Italy, Africa, all these places because he collects the dirt from all these places. Yes. Probably because he's somebody who never thought he'd leave the small town he was born in, and mm-hmm. wars his way of traveling the world. It's we know so much about these people. The person we know the least about is the captain, until he's kind of forced to until, tell them until Wade dies. Also, I, uh, the, I know I know Steven Spielberg's like, I'm going to have Wade died so I can just fuck the audience over and have to do the movie. I mean, it's probably the most important scene out of the whole movie. Yeah. Everything, everything changes with that scene. Yeah. Everything happens in that scene. You know what? I think that's probably the most important scene of any movie we've seen so far. That That's the that's... one that has the most impact on the rest of the movie? Yes. Let's talk about it. 
because that sequence is interesting because Miller and the and the squad are coming through and they see a um, gun encampment, right? Well, or, firstly, they see three dead soldiers in a field. Yeah. They see three dead American soldiers in a field. That tells them something wrong about this field. Mm, this field, don't look right. Looks don't look right. German. Looks uh, like there might be Germans in these walls. I smell sauerkraut. <laughs> God. Uh. And, um... They find a gun encampment on, like, a little, like, uh, hill next to a radar array. Yeah. And Miller says, look, we're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna clear it out, yada yada yada, and they're like, Cap, we don't have to be here, we can just go right around. We really don't have to do that, we can go around this. But, it's, it's weird, because, at first you think Cap's doing it because, okay, they saw his handshakes, and it's like, this is him trying to get his macho back yeah and then it's like he's explaining he's like hey our job is to win the war and we're what we're gonna let some other troop come in yeah, here we're and get gonna ambushed? let some other company walk through this field and die and he pushes them to well we're gonna do this and no one's really in on it but they're gonna do it because they trust the captain yeah. right and they go and in Cap makes a good point and they trust him so they set up they do they do the run-in mm-hmm. right and it's 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 shot really well because it's all shot through, like, Upham's point of view, yes. through the glass, or through yeah, the, uh, the scope. scope. And after, you know, the grenades are being thrown, and, you know, dust settles, they're they're yelling, you know, Upham, bring up the medics, bring up the kit, bring up the kit. Mm-hmm. Go up, and they see Wade, their medic, has been shot through the, through the chest. Yeah. And he's lying there, and he's alive, and everyone's gathered around, and they're trying to, like, stop the bleeding. They're trying to do something, but they're, they don't know what to do mm-hmm. and wade like he's bleeding he's trying to tell them but he, he can't really on. he can't really like he he can't really tell them what to do you know he he he's struck with the situation it's never occurred to him before he's like what what happens if i i'm I, the one that's injured you know yeah and they're um they're trying to figure out what to do and wade's asking all the questions they're like where's the bullet where's the exit wound and he's like all right he's like oh god I'm, I'm shot in the liver. Mm-hmm. And they they say, just tell us what what you want want us yeah, to do. Yeah, what, what, what do you want us to do? How can we fix you? And um, he says, uh, more morphine. He's like, just give me a little more morphine. That'll that'll help. And they uh, kind of realize what oh, he means. Wade knows that he's going to die. And he knows. He's like, I'll just give me the morphine and it'll make it easier. Mm-hmm. And... It was really yeah. hitting hard for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, like that again. That's the only scene in the movie I really can't can't do, and I, mm, you know, because he's calling for, it and then it's like quiets down, and then he stops, and they realize he's gone, and then and they then, c- um, the two of the soldiers from the the group go up to uh, there's a, a a wounded German soldier that's still alive. Yes, and they just start beating the shit out of them oh yes they beat the living bejesus out of them they beat the patriotism into them real quick and then um the the captain stops them from from killing the soldier right and tells them that they're the they're gonna make the soldier dig the grave for wade yeah he's gonna dig all the graves for the paratroopers and everybody yeah for the three troopers that died in the field too and they do and as they're doing it we see that upham is treating him like a like, like a like, human being, like another you know, person. He's like, yeah, you're. He's like, yeah, you're a soldier, but you know, we're both soldiers. You're an enemy, whatever. You're you're here. He's giving him, you know, water. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? 
giving it to the enemy up. And what's wrong with you? And it goes on, and then they kind of figure out, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, keep going on. Like, well, what are you going to do with this guy? And they're ready to just execute shoot him. him. Yeah, just, just shoot him in the hole he's dug. Yeah, and just hand him over. And the guy is begging. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure who this actor is, but he's damn good at his job. Because he is begging for his life, and he's speaking in English. He's like, fuck Hitler. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, fuck Hitler. You were, you were learning. And he starts begging in German. He's like crying. And they're like, fuck it. And Miller gets him out, puts a blindfold on. He's like, all right, you're going to march a thousand a thousand paces that way. If you turn around once, we're going to shoot you. But if you finish, we're going to be gone. And they're like, and he you know, starts marching off. And then we have the big blow up, right? Yeah. And they're all yelling, trying to figure out, like, you know, why the fuck did you do this? You know, Rabizi's like, fuck it. I'm just leaving. You know, Ryan ain't worth shit to mm-hmm. me. I'm done. And uh, Tom Sizemore's character, the, uh, the sergeant, Sergeant Horvich, fucking chambers around on him. He's like, if you walk away, I'm going to shoot you for desertion. Mm-hmm. And Upham's like, Cap, like, you got to do something here. He's like, I'm a fucking translator. Yeah. Well, also, Upham's the one that advocated for letting the, the German soldier go, you know? Yeah. Upham, Upham's the one that caused this, you know? And then the captain's like, how much is the pool up to Oh, yeah, to explain that there's a pool on figuring out what the captain did before the war and Where's where he's he? from. Which, let's be real, that is not a hard thing to to figure out, right? You just check his dog tags when he's asleep. Does he sleep? I mean... He doesn't even have a mother. <laughs> the captain is a, uh, where did the captain come from? They built him out of dead G.I.s. <laughs> yeah, Stitched him together in a lab. I like how they talk about Tom Hanks is this undeniable badass yeah and i'm like, like it's tom hanks it's tom hanks it's calm down big it's forrest gump <laughs> which Granted, i think I, is kind of a honestly i think tom hanks is kind of a mi- miscast here really yeah because the way he's played up in the movies like this kind of like hard ass they built out of dead gis <laughs> and he's like he's seen nothing but death and destruction hasn't batted an eye yeah you know and he I mean, obviously, he's supposed to have a softer side with, like, the whole shake and his, like, kind of, like, heart-to-hearts with, like, the sergeant Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But, like, I think he's total miscast because you cannot see him as, like, a tough, hard man. That's fucking Tom Hanks. It's the problem. He's he's America's nice guy. Yeah, right. And it's a little bit of a miscast, but I don't think it's so bad. It's also one of those things where, like, he's not bad in this movie. He's not bad. He was nominated for, he was nominated for an Oscar for this. And it's... He lost it too? He lost it. I mean, that I'm not sure who he lost to. Isn't it supposed to be Shakespeare in Love or some shit? No, that's what lost Best Picture. Okay. Which, by the way, Shakespeare in Love for 98 was a better film than Saving Private Ryan. Cielo says she likes Shakespeare in Love. Better than Saving Private Ryan? She doesn't, she definitely better than Saving Private Ryan. She hates bloody movies. Yeah, you know, but come on. For the cinema. <laughs> the for cinema. cinema. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they would call this movie cinema. Okay, is a cinema, kino, flick, movie? It's a movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. Better than a flick? It's better than a flick. Alright, alright. But Cinema? I'm not sure if, it, if it's up to the cinema. Also, if anybody wants to know, we're, we're supposed to be doing um, <laughs> John Luc Godard's yeah, impressions. impressions of John Luc Godard. Yeah, because there's this really weird internet ranking thing where some movies are flicks, some movies are movies, some are films, some, some are, are kino. kino. 
you know. And, and others cinema. are cinema. Yeah, you know, it's, it's pronounced by Jean Luc Godard. It's the it's the grading of uh, of mm-hmm. movies, and this is like a damn fine movie. Like this is a damn fine movie. Damn fine movie. Damn fine movie. And I mean, like you know, speaking of like the casting, because there's like, like, I mean, it is deep. We already touched on it. I know. I mean, okay. Because there actually is two people who were considered above Tom Hanks for mm-hmm. the role. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you if you think these are better, Harrison Ford or Mel Gibson. <laughs> these were really their top three choices. Uh yes, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Remember, Tom Hanks was on a run, by the way. Yeah. God. Um. Well, let me think about Harrison Ford for a second. You know, he would definitely play a better hard-ass, but he'd still be wooden as fuck Tom Hanks. Or not Tom or Hanks. Wooden, as fuck, wooden as fuck Harrison Ford. I think you can get a pretty good Harrison Ford performance. I mean, remember, he was be coming back to Spielberg. He did indie he, with him. He'd have a better look for the movie. He'd definitely be able to play like a more mysterious hard-ass for the first, you know, however long of this movie before I think Wade he, dies. I think he wouldn't be able to really dig into like the deep dramatic no, stuff. Because Harrison Ford, I don't think, would no, be able to do a good God cry no. on screen. Like the breakdown Hell moments. Hell no. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. That would be crazy as fuck to see Mel Gibson in this role. I mean, I think Mel Gibson would have been an interesting choice. And definitely an interesting choice. That's that's like one of those things where it's like, it's so crazy, it might just fucking work. Because he was, because, like, say what you will about Mel Gibson, he's intense. And I think that intensity would be the thing that would throw the movie. Because it'd be really hard to, like, get in line with Mel Gibson through the film this story is telling. Yeah. Rather, Tom Hanks. Because Tom Hanks, you immediately like him. Yes. You know, Mel Gibson, he'd be a little gruff the first going. He'd definitely give a more intense performance, but I'm not sure if that's what this movie wants. I guess out of those three options, and fuck, I guess Tom Hanks is the best option. I, I mean, the other... Okay, but we did talk about Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yes, because Matt Damon, he was cast as an unknown for uh-huh. this. And then he did Goodwill Hunting, and that shit went out the fucking door. Yeah, he won an Oscar by that, by the way. Um, but the person they had before him was a little actor known as Edward Norton, who turned the movie down. Edward Norton, who's who's that? American History X, Fight Club. Um, oh. Um, he's also in Rounders. He was in opposite of Matt Damon, by the way. Oh, um, he's, okay. He's a very he was Incredible Hulk before Mark Ruffalo took it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good actor, by the way. Very good. But he turned it down to do American History X. Did he really turned it down straight? Because he because American he's... History has a lead role. Yeah, well, because uh, I haven't seen American History X, but he's like the the, the bald guy with like the swastika on his chest. Yeah. Like that's Edward Norton. That's okay. Edward Norton. Yeah, he also he packed on like thirty pounds of muscle for that role. By the way, did he really turn down this movie for American History X? Turned it down cold. Wow. And American History X though, um, is a is a movie that's very hard to watch now for a lot of reasons. Oh yeah. It's a very well put together movie, but it had a whole thing like the director. He he is the reason the Alan Smithy like label is no longer used as a director pseudonym. Like he got into a big fight with the with the DGA. He got into a big fight with the Academy. Edward Norton like had to take the took the film away from him to do recuts, and it was a big fiasco of a production. Very good film, you know. The product's like a solid film, but it's not saying Private Ryan. Yeah. The other person well, also was, that movie has like its own whole thing about it. <laughs> yeah, like a whole deal about it. And the other person who was put forth for it was uh, Noah Weil, 
who if you don't know he was he was a tv actor back in the in the 90s and he actually that's why he couldn't do this because mm-hmm. he couldn't get out of his er uh season which kind of fucking suck he's like Man, if I could have slipped out of ER for like a couple of months, because this only took two months to film. But I think Matt Damon is good in his role. Very good. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole, I believe the entire story he tells about his brothers, you know the story where he's like laughing and he's jovial and it's a very big memory thing, but you're listening to it and it's it's not really a funny story. It's a really like, if you were there and you were me, it'd be funny. He improved the whole thing. Did he really? Yeah. Because Spielberg was like, I want you to tell a story. That would remind you of your brothers that only you would find funny. Mm-hmm. And he kind of came up with that. And it's like, that's kind of the perfect thing of that because, and the you thing know, at the he end. he only mentions two of his brothers by name in that story. Yeah. That third brother. Poor, poor P. R.I.P. R.I.P. I think his name's P. I have no fucking idea. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very good casting, by the very way. Very good casting. I mean, that's a great improv scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many great... Like, again, like we, we could gush about the entire cast, because I think everyone here is fucking great. Even Vin Diesel, the philosopher of our time. <laughs> like, great in this movie. Oh, yeah, especially when he dies. So good. Also, mm-hmm. I got I understand. He's become kind of a meme because of the Fast and the Furious movies. And it's like, oh, he's Groot. He only also he, Riddick. He, also, uh, no, dude, Riddick is fucking. No, lit. but I mean, he's Pit, Pitch Black Chronicles. Of Riddick, the fucking Riddick movie. Those movies are Vin Diesel. Just being, he's basically becoming a huge like meme because of like the Riddick movies, the Fast and the Furious. I am Groot. Like, yeah, where people are like, oh, he's an actor and he has like one mode, but no, he's got he's got real range. People kind of forget that. Before he became, you know, Dom Toretto, he, yeah. he was a real actor. Like, he had chops. Especially in this movie. Oh, yeah. I think this is probably the best performance I've seen from him. He's not even, like, a main, like the main character or even, He's like, the, the first guy three. that dies. Yeah. He's the first guy that dies, but you fucking remember reason. him. Yeah. But, um, I guess, guess beyond that, where, where else do you want to go on here? I'm sorry, everybody out there. Is... We've been wandering around this. Movie. I don't know. We got a whole I... World War II history what, lesson. What more there is to talk about? I mean, we could talk more about Private Jackson and the whole um, tie-in with like um, the Holy Warrior and like you know the like um, how uh, in the like grave they use either um, Christian crosses or like Jewish stars of David mm. um, and like the kind of like the the whole like Christian motif of the movie of like trying to be a good christian and also shoot people yeah how can you how How can can you you... reconcile we've we've had a lot of philosophers over the years thomas aquinas um saint augustine um many others try and reconcile fighting a just war and being a christian you know it's it's how do you reconcile um a very peaceful um at its core at its roots a very peaceful um religion with killing people because that's not like a you know three hell marys and you're and you're good that's a it's 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 one of the commandments Mm -hmm. it's it's, it shall not kill in the top 10 it's in there i think it's like one or two you know and i mean we have like this that relates all the way back to i mean even like the crusades you know like Mm. fighting a holy war like how, how does that work you know yeah and i mean because we have, like, not only Jackson, he's, he constantly references his religion, he's praying, all that stuff, but even, even, um, Fish, uh, Mellish, 
he, he references con- his religion. He's constantly, you know, saying, you know, Jewish. He's constantly bringing home a point that he's like, yes, you yeah, know, he's Jewish point, and he, he's proud. He's holding his, his dog tags with, with a, a star, star of David, David on it up to the German soldiers. Juden. Juden. <laughs> want you to know Juden right here. <laughs> right here, you know, and I'm trying to, I mean, I'm not as well versed in the, uh, the Torah. In the Jewish religious, um, well, there's more than just um, the Old Testament to the Jewish religion, but um, you know, trying reckon, trying to reconcile that with, especially since he's 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 uh, he's flaunting it, mm-hmm. right? Trying to reconcile that with his his own religious self, you know, or even the fact that I'm I'm sure most of them just set it aside. You know, it's like, I'm, I'll be a religious man when this, I get this, home. When I get home, you know, this is not the time for it. While other people weave it in, like Jackson does. Like, I'm sure Fish almost sets it aside. Sure, he kind of, like, wears it as, like, a badge of honor, right? But I'm, I'm sure that he's setting it aside in the more religious sense. Yeah. While Jackson is weaving it directly in with what he's doing, you know, he has not forgotten. Yeah. And that's, that, and he uses it as a thing of, comfort that's probably mm-hmm. that's probably why he sleeps so well they make a point where it's like i don't understand how he can just oh yeah his head, his head hits the sack and he's out he's like he has he he kills all these people and he knows he's doing it this isn't like blind firing into a crowd yeah you, you don't know but no he sees them die through his scope there is no if ands or buts about it and he's like no guilt you know i say my prayer i've made my peace with god and when he calls me home he calls me home mm-hmm. until then i will sleep easy that is a, and that that's a very that is a man at peace with with himself and his god. Yeah, and you that's know, he the he's crux of the what the religious warrior. Yeah, the religious know? warrior. You know, he's uh, um Jackson sees himself as a an instrument of God. You know, as let there is a reason he has been put in this position. You know, there's a reason he is so good at shooting a rifle. That, like, all these things have a reason. Also, I gotta ask a question, because you know more about, like, guns and shit than I do. Mm-hmm. When he says, he's like, gentlemen, you put me a mile away from, a- up to and including a mile from Adolf Hitler, clear line of sight, boys, boys, pack of bags, war's over. How hard is a, how hard is a, a mile, a mile shot? I mean, is, the, the, is he an actual Billy Badass here? Or is that some, like, you know, chutzpah? Given enough time, you probably could do it. Like, like a mile shot isn't impossible. Even with the weapons they were using in World War Two, not impossible. Fucking difficult. I mean, if he could get it on the first shot, fucking nigh impossible. If if he could actually do it, that man that man would have won the war. I mean, if if they if they chained Adolf Hitler to a table, he could probably get him within the clip. (laughs) But like, I like uh, that. Get him within the clip. You fire nine rounds. That one's gonna wing him. That's five, five, six with one of the or five and then one in the chamber. You know, but you know he could probably get him within six. You know, especially if he's as good, because I mean, he kills the guy through his scope at four hundred and fifty yards, which that's that's already pretty impressive, and that's under fire. You know, that's you know while being in line of like you know whatnot. Fun fact: so talking about historical inaccuracies before that mm-hmm. technically isn't accurate to World War Two. Not for Vietnam, though. That's an actual real shot a American sniper made and was confirmed yeah. during the Vietnam War. Yeah, shot through the scope. Yeah, which people are like. 
bruh, like if you're a sniper, that you just do that shit all the time. Like, no, no. that is well. Also, it's hard. just it's just inefficient. Yeah. Like, why would you shoot them through the scope to shoot them? You know, <laughs> like it, like I'm sure the guy didn't intend to hit the guy through the scope. It just happened. He no no he was intending it. That man yeah, was cool. like, I'm shooting womp rats off my off my star destroyer I mean, for years. You know, in um, I'm not sure if it was Afghan. It was in the Middle East. I know that, but I'm not sure if it was Afghanistan or what country it was in. But I mean, we nowadays we've had like a shot recorded at like three miles. I think it was. Jesus Christ! Yeah, like um, shooting from the next county. The 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 person the uh, it was reported that the person that got shot didn't even hear it. Like the person and the person they were saying next to didn't didn't hear a sound. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if that if the that measurement of distance is accurate, but that's, I I I believe that's that's uh, what I've heard. But yeah, you know, I mean, the, the historical inaccuracies of this movie are, are. I mean, they they are a plethora if you want to find them, but they're they're not. They don't matter that much in this movie. I mean, uh-huh. like you know when. Uh, I hear like the BIR like shooting right. You 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 sounded that out immediately because you <laughs> fuck with that BIR. No, well, you know I, way too much about that gun. I, I've seen I've seen a, a good amount of videos breaking down that gun, but it's less like yeah, it doesn't fire that fast. Um, also, the gun's a piece a total a complete piece of shit. Um, <laughs> that gun's only good because it will it will end anything at the other end of it. Well, no, it was only good because the U.S. Army already had them <laughs> from World War One. I. <laughs> I like that. It's like what? Why is this gun such badass? Because we all. Already we had already it. had them, and it it does fire a full length cartridge at in automatic, which you know not not many things did that. Although the compensators on them gave people concussions. I like that fired the gun, and you're just like, oh god, no no. The fuck if you I? fired the gun, you'd be fine. But if somebody was standing next to your the end of your barrel, oh they're fucked. They're Death fucked. immediately. <laughs> Bursted eardrums at the very least. Oh, uh, I, I, another or or what else is there? There's the the thing where they're grabbing the mortar things and they're whacking it and throwing them like frag grenades. Yeah, that that one people are trying to point out like that's inaccurate. I'm like fun fact, guy with the Medal of Honor doing that in World War Two, mm-hmm. and he was still alive and was able to tell people. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, that shit was real. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, modern day mortars don't work like that, but well, mortars in World War Two. I mean, hey, they, 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 they safe, safety features. Fuck them. Yeah. Um, other things like. I mean, you could point out stuff like um, the certain models of weapons they're using. Like, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I'm not sure if there are any M1 carbines used on D Day. Or on the beaches. Yeah, on the beaches of D Day. I'm not sure M1 carbines were there. Like, I I don't think they were used. Like, M1 carbines were even, like, I believe were for non frontline troops. Oh, they were for like cleanup crew stuff like that. Well, they they were I believe their development was mostly for just troops that weren't on the front line or like tanker crews, just like um like for like MPs and anything like like um field based personnel. They're not on the front line. Yeah, you know, uh, stuff like that. Like um, the model of like the uh, Thompson that um. The, uh, oh, the that Tom that Tom Hanks uses, I believe, is like a later run. Um, I was looking. Thompson. I'm like, where's the velvet inline? Where's the <laughs> yeah? Notori- notoriously, Thompsons were fucking expensive, and the U.S. government hated that company. <laughs> <laughs> fucking despised the Thompson company because Thompsons cost two hundred dollars. Yeah, and. By two hundred dollars in nineteen nineteen thirties money, forties money. Yeah, nineteen thirties, forties money, and that shit. 
like when the Thompson first came out in like the 20s, a car was about, I don't know, like $300 and a Thompson was $200. So you can kind of put that in perspective. The Thompsons were fucking expensive as hell. And the Thompson Company did not um, undercharge the U.S. government. They charged them retail. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine the U.S. government comes in and he's like, Gentlemen, your country needs you. We're about to go fight one of the largest military excursions into Europe. We're going to save the world. And we need your help to fund us these guns. And but Thompson old, Company old goes, Uncle Sam, he needs a discount. Thompson no, Company. No, the Thompson Company says, Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> Thompson Company is like, Did you know my father's name? Was Hans? <laughs> Hans Thompson. <laughs> Fuck you, pay- This is the whole reason why the grease gun was invented, a gun that was made for like three cents a fucking gun. Could you could you imagine? Could you imagine you're the guy at the Thompson Company and you're like, we did our part of part to save to save the world, and all the generals are like Bruh, my kid can't go to college because of you fucks. <laughs> the, 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 the head of ordinance in the army is like, fuck off, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, you can be patriotic, William, and I'm dead. Uh, but yeah, 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 like that, those, because I like how you're bringing that up, because that's actually an interesting point, because famously, fucking famously, we talked about, this movie lost to Shakespeare in Love is Best Picture, right? Mm-hmm. And... The reason a lot of people point to was because of Lord Voldemort, he shall not be named, Lee Harvey Weinstein, who was the producer of Shakespeare in Love, lobbied hard against Saving Private Ryan, being like, it's historically inaccurate, it's not a real-life war film, it's a movie that's all blast, no substance. Come on, how can you give it to a movie that can't even get all these little things right? Yada, yada, yada. And people point to that as, like, his political wheeling and dealing is why this movie lost Best Picture. Yeah, I mean... Which... Is kind of a petty thing to do. Especially coming from Harvey fucking Weinstein. Yes. The slimy motherfucker. The slimiest motherfucker. God. Like, that that man's legacy is shite. Mm-hmm. But, like, other than that, because I have all this shit here that it, like, won, and it's fucking deep. Like, yeah. j- just for the Oscars, it won Best Director, Steven Spielberg, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Sound Effects Editing. All right, that's it, film editing, really. I think so. I mean, I think Normandy Beach, it, knowing that it's not storyboarded, is insane to me. Yeah. Um, oh. all the battle sequences are really well put together. You never lose geography. Um, I think even as the movie progresses, I mean, the movie flows really well. It compresses like a week's worth of time into a meaningful few days, and it. I just didn't it think flows. That the editing itself was that impressive. The cinematography, though, is fucking great. Definitely, definitely deserved yes, its Oscars. Definitely deserved its Oscar for directing and cinematography. I'm like editing, like yeah, maybe it was just the best out of that lot that year. You yeah, know? You know. I mean the sound. That's very nitpicky. The sounds in those movies great. Yeah, I mean the the sound, the sound effects editing. I think at this point is like it's some of the best. And I mean the 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 other thing is like the film was also nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It was nominated for eleven Oscars. Uh-huh. Walking away with five, that's respectable. Respect, really respectable. But we've talked about its accolades. We talked about its themes. We talked about its cast. We talked about World War Two history. We talked about guns. Its accuracy. Its accuracy. Its inaccuracy. The, the inaccuracy of a uh, MG thirty four after about a hundred rounds. After about a hundred rounds. <laughs> But we have to ask the question, Randy. It's spot in the AFI Top 100 Films of all time. Because this is number 71. 
AFI top 100 films of all time. Movies have been getting a lot better recently. I remember we were talking leading up, I think it was like five movies ago, we were like, man, I don't know how much is going to change, I don't know. And then we just hit some bangers, 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 bangers. bangers. So this movie, Saving Private Ryan, movie that holds up just as well as you remember. A movie that is pretty strong. Probably my top ten I've watched yet. Mm. I'm not gonna put it at number one. No, no, I I don't think this is a, a number one category. I think so far, I mean, strong. The movie's strong. just very, very good, very strong. You know, at this point, I'm like, what's gonna topple Sunrise, bro? Right? <laughs> like, is Sunrise gonna be that movie that's gonna really, go deep? This movie's just like really so good at what it does, and just such a, uh. A movie that hits like close to home for me and like a just like a really good well put together movie and i'm just like it's a popcorn flick like, that you can chew on and this is really gonna like not even scrape the top five like how 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 can this be that this is not gonna straight scrape my top five of what we've already watched i mean like, it's the same thing when we when you and me were talking about it where it's like oh um uh, All the President's Men, or Butch Casting Sundance Kids, or Sons of the Lands, or Shawshank Redemption, movies that are like, these are objectively, like, perfect movies. There's literally nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. But, there's nothing wrong with them, but there's nothing, there's nothing above, like, the perfection yeah. of the of the craft. Saving Private Ryan, is there something above the perfection of the craft? Is there, because this movie, you know, it's a popcorn flick. I think at the heart of it, it's a popcorn flick that you can chew on. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a popcorn flick. Yeah, you know, it's not supposed to be a flick. It's supposed to be a, a movie. It's supposed to be a film. It's supposed you know? to be cinema. We all strive it's to be cinema. It's supposed to be cinema, but I don't think it's cinema. Well, the only movie we've watched so far that's that's PR cinema Sunrise. Yeah, which is why that movie is gonna rank very high on the next milestone yeah probably on the next milestone after that after that <laughs> it's gonna be a run that, that one is that, that one is winning us or winning us the super bowl as our uh, running back damn right he was first round draft pick. let's go <laughs> but yeah that's the thing. no he's winning us so hard to where he's like the fourth round draft pick kind of guy oh god he's, he's, the, like, he's one of those people that everybody was like nah we'll pass he, he's nah, we'll he's pass. uh the aaron Rodgers of our, our thing <laughs> yes. 12th round draft pick by the way everybody do you guys understand <laughs> that man was so low on the draft chart they thought he'd be a third string quarterback for his career arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in the nfl come on guys. at least in recent history at least in recent history fuck tom brady fuck tom brady but uh yeah so like that's the thing shawshank or not shawshank same private ryan same private ryan is one of these movies that i think is going to rank pretty high i think it'll get the benefit once the list opens up a little bit but do you think it stays on? Oh, oh, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely, absolutely. You think for the Spielberg flick? Because he has five on this fucking list. Oh, he has five, but they're, all five of his movies are probably going to get justified. Yeah. So, Which I feel is kind of unfortunate for other directors. Such just, a bitch just in Spielberg. Watch, or just make better fucking movies. Lol. Lol Keck XD. Lol Just make better movies and they'll get on the list. Yeah, so, Saving Private Ryan, I think it stays on the list. Stays on the list. I think it'll probably stick around this area. I'm starting to feel like the movies above it aren't going to shift that low for it to move up that much. I don't think so either. I think when we do the scaling, because we do like 30 movies now, yeah. not the full 100, it's probably going to end 
up probably at a in the tens maybe mm-hmm. like around there yeah but if it widens out i can definitely see it probably ending up maybe even in like the 60s 50s maybe probably probably, probably becoming mid-60s. a middle but probably mid 60s is where i see it you know it's going to move up a bit cuz i'm sure there's movies above it that aren't as good as it but i'm sure there's not that many yeah but with that randy cuz next week we're actually going to have to figure that that shit out because next week we're doing our milestone oh shit milestone number three we'll we'll be ranking numbers 100 to 71 Mm -hmm. of the afi top 100 films of all time but keep everybody enthralled you know because once we get back we're going to be talking about the second stanley kubrick film on the list a clockwork orange we've already watched the stanley kubrick movie spartacus oh it's the it's the kubrick movie everyone forgets is a kubrick movie yeah yeah but it's 2001 on this list? Damn right, it's like number four. Oh, okay. Listen, cool, thanks, that, that, I don't have to watch it for that long. That's great. I hate you so much. It might actually... It might <laughs> I've be, tried to watch that movie like four times. It's so good, I don't understand you. Uh, yeah, it's just real slow at the beginning. Whatever. But yeah, so with that, ladies and gentlemen, next week we're going to be talking about all 30 movies we've watched so far. If you wanted to catch up with that, you can go to anywhere you can find podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, so on and so forth. You can also go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is right. We are The Film Vault on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe, do something. Comment. Tell us we're awful, because we're awful and damn proud of it. Oh, God. But, uh, Randy, any any last words? What is the good life? I don't know. I just hope it's not Fubar. <laughs> it's not Fubar. <laughs> All right, everybody. You have yourself a good week. <laughs>